back in the fur shed for episode 33 of the Trapping Today podcast. Thank you for tuning in. I am your host, Jeremiah Wood, and you can find me at trappingtoday.com or here at the Trapping Today podcast and a number of other media channels online, on YouTube, on Instagram, and really there are a bunch of different channels Unfortunately, there isn't enough time in the day to get through and uh, and put together trapping information on those channels. It's the summertime. It's, uh, of course, super busy and all kinds of other things going on. And for me, having a little cattle farm, uh, it's actually hay making time. So we have been, uh, I've been clearing ground and hauling hay bales and stacking hay bales and going through all that stuff. The days are getting shorter, believe it or not. We're um, in in July now, and it's just unbelievable how fast things go. And uh, there's just just not enough time to get up and and work. And and uh, all of a sudden, you it starts to get dark, and the day's over. And geez, um, the next day is going to be a little shorter than the last one. So I guess we just do what we can and try to get things done and prepare. Uh, it seems like here in northern Maine, uh, what we do half the time is uh, as soon as spring comes, we start preparing for winter. So it's just a reality of uh, of living here, and, and maybe we take a break and chill out in the wintertime and relax. So anyway, I have a list of things to get through in the podcast tonight, and it it is an incredibly uh, extensive list, so I don't know how many things we're, how much of this we're going to get to. We're going to uh, just go through them, and may actually have to split this up into uh, a couple of different uh, podcast episodes. But we'll see what happens. So anyway, uh, one thing I wanted to mention, uh, I did forget. To, uh, to go over something last episode. So we discussed Martin and Fisher trapping and mast, uh, which is nut crops, uh, nut trees like beech nuts, and how that affects trapping in the Northeast, primarily Martin and Fisher trapping in Maine and in upstate New York, in, in the Adirondacks of New York. And I mentioned, uh, if, you, if you haven't listened to that, you should... Uh, check that out and take a listen. Um, it's pretty in-depth and talk about a lot of uh, different studies and the whole concept. But basically, the amount of beech nuts, which varies from year to year. Um, every other year, we have huge beech nut crops, and this affects the food availability, and that affects our ability to catch marten in traps. And we see in Maine, the Martin harvest uh, fluctuates very substantially from year to year. And it's p- very predictable based on the amount of beech nuts that are available. So what I did when I, when I discussed that, I talked about a study that uh, came up with these hypotheses. Uh, there were two hypotheses that showed, it basically, you know, theorize that okay this is what we see this is what's going on this is why trapper harvest varies from year to year and I discussed I mentioned both of those but I only really talked in depth about the first one which is the idea that 
there's more food there's more there's beech nuts available there uh, in the area and the Martin actually Martin and Fisher will eat beech nuts when when it's available but of course their primary food is uh, is small mammals so they're eating mice and voles and and of course Fisher will eat porcupines and they'll eat a bunch of different things but uh, they they they'll eat the nuts and they'll also capitalize on the abundant voles and mice and and other small mammals that and squirrels that are just gorging themselves on these beech nuts so it makes them really hard to catch and we discuss that in detail on how we get around that and how we maybe find ways to get them to go into the traps and uh, a very complex subject but the other thing that I failed to discuss and I didn't I didn't go through it and I was thinking about it this week that man I really should have I for, totally forgot to go into that is there was a second part of that hypothesis and um, <clears throat> that to explain try to explain this variation in year-to-year harvest of of Martin and Fisher and it's mainly Martin because Maine has really good Martin harvest data and and it really shows this fluctuation so the second hypothesis was that during these high mast years when there's all kinds of food available and uh, the Martin are eating nuts and they're eating all these squirrels and um, mice and voles not only does that make them harder to catch in traps that year but the young Martin that are born that spring and are just kind of you know young of the year Martin they're pretty good size they're getting ready to disperse and go into different habitats <clears throat> those Martin which tend to be you know easier ones to trap um, those Martin are their survival during years of high food availability is extremely high. Their survival during years of low food availability is relatively low. So when you have a good mast year, you have all kinds of food, you got nuts, you got uh, critters everywhere. Um, those Martin that are young of the year, survival is really high and the theory is that this results in a bumper crop of Martin available to be harvested the following year. So when you have that large number of Martin in the population because of a really good year the last fall they did great and they survived all through the winter and they didn't go to traps um, in November December because they had plenty of food they made it through the winter the next year you've got you know you could have one and a half times or more the densities of Martin per square mile than you had the year before. So uh, the, this theory is, and, and it's not really a theory, it's kind of common sense. Um, it's just, you know, sometimes in the scientific world uh, there are a lot of things that you kind of have to come up with a hypothesis and test it and test it and test it and test it and try to disprove it before it becomes kind of a, a, a recognized uh, fact. So the it's likely that there's there's two things going on. The first one is the food availability makes it hard to catch Martin that that year of high mast. The second thing is uh, on the second year when mast availability is low, there's not a lot of food. You also have all these animals 
that had survived the year before and did really well. You've got so many more Martin in the population. And, you know, this applies to Fisher as well to a lesser extent, but it does apply. They are there and all of a sudden you have the combination of lots of animals, not a lot of food, and it's go time. And actually this is July 2018 as I record this. And I am planning on go time this fall. I'm, I'm really excited about getting things prepared and getting things ready because I think this is going to be a really good year for, uh, for us Martin Trappers. So anyway, I wanted to clarify that. There's so many things to talk about in that arena. Uh, the other thing, uh, eventually we'll talk probably about about mustelids like Martin and Fisher and delayed implantation and all the biological adaptations that those animals uh, have that allow them to uh, to survive and how that you know might help us as trappers to better understand how we operate. So that is uh, the Martin and Fisher thing that I forgot. Um, more about uh, about me uh, with trapping today. Uh, if you don't have my book Fur Profit, it's just this is just a little self promotion here. Fur Profit is a trapper's guide to the modern fur market. Um, just wanted to bring that up. You can buy that book. It's a 50-60 page book. Um, basically takes you through uh, the fur market and how to look at different ways to sell your fur, uh, give you a better understanding of things and uh, other options. And I think it's really valuable to have in a low fur market that we are facing right now. So. Um, it's twelve dollars. It's um, it's I think a really good resource. You can buy uh, actually the ebook if you go to trappingtoday.com. You can find the ebook. That's five bucks. So you can get that as a PDF and read it right off, right away. Um, the actual physical book you can get it on Amazon. You get it on F and T Fur Harvesters Trading Post, Cots Brothers K A A T Z Bros dot com, um, <clears throat> uh, PCS Outdoors. So there's a, a number of different places you can get that. Check it out. And that is your way right now um, to support the Trapping Today podcast. So if you haven't gotten it and you're a podcast listener, check it out. Help me out. All right. Um, just running down the list here. We got an email from a listener from Ireland. So... Uh, Sarah, I if you're listening in, I really appreciate um, you writing in. So uh, Sarah has a pest control business in Ireland and was writing to let me know that they, uh, you know, trapping's a lot different in Ireland. There, there's not as much or, or if any fur trapping really, but they, they do have a lot of pest control uh, trapping and uh, for those pest control trappers to uh, stay in business and be licensed, they have to have uh, come up with these credits for continuing education. And Sarah mentioned that uh, th- there's uh, there's some uh, or or organizations that kind of certify the the training for for these. Um, these trappers to uh, to make sure that they're they're you know kind of keeping up with what's going on in the trapping world and keeping educated and such. And she mentioned that she um, was able to get some credits for 
for continuing education by uh, listening to the Trapping Today podcast. So that was really cool. I thought that was uh, interesting to mention, and I very much appreciate it. The Educating Trappers is really rewarding and just a neat thing to do. So I appreciate that. And it, it's not always my goal to be 100% education. You know, the, the whole slogan on trapping today is information and education for the modern trapper. And really it's all things in between. But I thought that was uh, extremely uh, interesting and very much appreciated. So thank you for that. I'm glad. I, that's like the last thing I I would have thought of when you know I started this podcast was that it was going to be uh, to some extent an, an educational uh, thing for for people in the pest control business in Ireland. So that's really cool. Uh, another thing, another email I got from a listener was the muskrat trapping book that I mentioned uh, an episode or two ago. So that was they they were wondering what the actual book was what the title of the book was I mentioned that I was going to uh, to cover that and in a future episode I'm kind of I'm going to review that put it up on the website but it's called Muskrat Trapper's Guide and it's a guy named Mitchell Ricketts R I C K E T T S uh the Muskrat Trapper's Guide and I really don't know much about Mitchell Ricketts. Uh, all I know is that he is one heck of a writer and one heck of a researcher, and he spent a lot of time on this book. And if you want to really know about muskrats, all the way from the the basic biology to the the really advanced biological uh, aspects of muskrats, and then over to how to trap muskrats and the different um, trapping related muskrat uh, issues Uh, this is 182 pages and it is full of information on muskrats muskrat trapping so uh, I would highly recommend that and again we'll cover that a little bit more uh, in the future but I thought I'd mention the name of the book because if one person was interested maybe there were a few other people uh, that were interested Uh, The other, uh, I'm going to jump ahead to another, uh, probably a a highlight, highlighted topic of the day is that the North American Fur Auctions July auction, their July sale is going on right now. And we're actually, um, when I record this, there's a lot of the fur has already, all the wild fur a good portion of the wild fur has already been offered at auction and as you might expect in you know we have a a fur market that's already not doing that great as it is and we also know that the July auction is the last auction of the year it's in the middle of the summer it's almost always the lowest auction or the poorest auction of the season So those two things working together have not really worked well in this auction. Uh, I've there there's no NAFA doesn't have a report out just yet as I um, as I record this, but pretty much from what I'm looking at, you can go on before they send 
their reports out. You can actually get on the website and follow things on the catalogs. Uh, if you have fur at the sale, obviously you can you, you're updated pretty quickly with what sells and how much it sells for. But if you're looking at like all the fur that was sold, you can get on that catalog on their website and go through the different sections and see what the averages were. And I did that for some different items of wild fur and there was a lot of unsold fur. So the only highlight really of the auction so far, and, and of course this is what is sold at auction, so there is always the possibility and the likelihood that there will be private treaty sales after the auction had concluded. And basically what that means is in the back room, uh, if something goes up for auction, it's not sold because the minimum that NAFA wants for the fur is not met. No, nobody bids on it. There's an opportunity for those buyers to go into the private treaty room after the auction and try to negotiate and see what they can come up with. A lot of people hate this idea. A lot of people like it. And there are positive and negative aspects of the private treaty system. But basically, you know, it's just another way of trying to market fur. And at this point, I think in this market, we got to try to market whatever we can and find whatever channel we can to get fur sold. So the only bright spot of this July sale so far is the better quality coyotes from uh western parts of the US uh, north northwestern coyotes so the ones the pale coyotes with the right color and the really thick uh, prime fur did fairly well again although I think looking at the catalog we're, we're probably gonna see a lower price than the last auction uh, but we're we're, pro we're in the neighborhood of $75 plus I would guess um, uh, there are a number of them that did not sell, even in those better sections. Now, the issue is, <clears throat> a common thing that we've been seeing in the fur market lately is even when we see bright spots, sometimes those bright spots are for a single species, They they there's a lot of variability in the different sections of fur in within a species and what I mean is the spread between the high quality and the low quality pelts for a single species fluctuates drastically and we noticed that where uh, it seemed like early on in the season with the fur auctions you the coyotes coyotes have been the bright spot in the market lately and bobcats have been pretty good as well so the top quality coyotes and bobcats, basically the ones from the western states like uh, Montana, Nevada, South Dakota, and uh, places like that. Those, those really good coyotes and bobcats that the market's looking for have sold extremely well, essentially 100% clearance at very high prices. Now, as you go down in quality, from those high quality coyotes and bobcats, the price obviously goes down. But the rate at which that price goes down with the decreasing quality varies a lot. So early on in the season, it seemed like, so you had 
coyotes that average $75 to $100 on the top end for those Montana coyotes. And the eastern coyotes were all the way down to like, I don't know, $25, $35, $40, depending on where they came from. So all of a sudden later on in the season, the that spread went from, you know, the top coyotes were averaging around $100, and the lower quality eastern coyotes were up to like $40, even saw some $50, $60, and there were a few eastern coyotes that did better than that. Well, the reason that that spread tightened up is because there was so much demand for those eastern, or the, sorry, for those western coyotes that were really high quality that the buyers just bought them all up and there was nothing left to buy from those sections. Well, you had a bunch of buyers sitting there looking for coyote pelts and the top coyotes have already been sold. Well, what are they going to do? Uh, are they going to walk away and just not be able to fill their orders and not have anything to work with? Or are they going to maybe go down a couple of grades in quality and accept, accept a lower quality fur, but at least have something to take with them? Because, you know, this is... This is a commodity market. It's all about supply and demand. And the supply, when the demand goes up and the supply doesn't follow, um, you know, you have you have a disparity there and, and supply needs to be met uh, to satisfy the market. Because of that, those those lower quality furs were kind of bumped up quite a bit. And in, in the last auction or two, we saw, wow, the eastern coyotes and the southern coyotes were doing really well. It's kind of surprising. Well, that kind of went back to uh, flip back the other way, apparently, at this July auction. And uh, Wesley, you sent me an email. I, I appreciate you um, sending me the, that information on your what you got for your coyotes. And uh, Wesley had some coyotes that were kind of from the southern part of the country. And those did not do all that well compared to what those those western coyotes said the spread was extremely wide and you know he's wondering a little bit about you know was there something I did never shipped to NAFA before is it the you know the fur put up or the fur handling and all I can say is the market is just so crazy right now fluctuating and it's in you know it's pretty precarious situation with the way the prices have been bouncing around I would say it it really has more to do with the market than anything else. And just keep the faith, man. Just keep trapping, supplying good quality fur. Take time on the put-up. You're doing a good job. And uh, things will sort themselves out. But anytime you go in the auction market with a commodity like fur in a tough market as it is, you're going to take a risk. And it unfortunately, it that doesn't always pay off. So that's the NAFA results so far. When we get the final report from NAFA, we'll see what they come up with. Uh, it's going to be tough to spin this one unless they get a lot of private treaty sales. Uh, links did not sell. like They sold like three or four links, lots. Martin, some Martin sold. The ones that sold were very, very low, very disappointing. Beaver didn't sell. Otter didn't sell. Mink didn't sell. A few muskrats sold. They seem most of them seem to go two to three dollars. Red fox didn't sell. 
So unless the, a lot of these sell private treaty, which rumor has it there may be some private treaty action going on that's going to discount the prices quite a bit. If that happens, you know, we're going to see a pretty big drop in the prices from uh, the May auction. So keep that in mind. Uh, it's, it's a rough market. Who knows when it's going to turn around. There's a few bright spots. But again, you know, all we can do as trappers is provide the best quality fur we can, trap the fur when it's prime or when we can get it most efficiently to keep our cost down. And uh, if we don't like the prices, let's find some alternative markets for our fur. And, and again, if you read Fur Profit, I throw out a few things in that book that may give you some ideas uh, to pursue pursue to try and, and get a better price for your fur. All right, um, moving on to another topic, lure prices. So I mentioned the prices are going up for trapping lures this year. The, the majority uh, of the companies, the lure makers, have talked about increasing their prices. And... I kind of, it was kind of interesting. I went through, I was going through some old stuff that I had laying around the house, kind of cleaning up, and I found a really old catalog from the snare shop uh, from Iowa in 2003, 2004. And uh, this catalog was, was really cool because I actually just got my first trapping supply catalog of the year, and that was from Funky trap tags and supplies for 2018-2019. So I have Funky's updated lure prices uh, in this catalog and I have the 2003-2004 snare shop prices. So I kind of was really fascinated to see how the prices have changed over the years because we know right now uh, the last few years have basically been $6 an ounce for lures. So I just wanted to rattle off a few of those to you and starting with the 2003-2004 snare shop catalog, Blackie's Blend Lures, one ounce was $3.50. Russ Carmen Superior Animal Lures, one ounce is $4. Milligan Brand Lures, $3.50. Uh, R&M 350, JR and Sons 350, Hobbakers was $4, used by over 250,000 trappers. Um, and basically just going through the rest of those, we're looking we're looking at 350 to $4 per ounce in 2003-2004. We're up to 6 now uh, prior to this season and it looks like we're going to see a few increases and a few stay the same. In the funky catalog, looking at Dunlap's lures is $7 for an ounce. Blackie's Blend uh, stayed at $6 an ounce. Medicine Hat, $6 an ounce. Hawbakers, up to $7 an ounce. R&M, 6 Russ Carmen, $7. Graz, $6. Keg Creek, uh, they don't have one ounce bottles. Milligan, Milligan, $7. Yeah, uh, there's a few others. Caven seven dollars. Dobbins is seven fifty, and uh, a few others. But basically, um, all along the same lines, pretty much. We're talking about six to seven fifty. Um, a lot of them are going to be seven dollars. 
So that's just a, a little preview so you know what's coming and you'll probably start to see a bunch of the catalogs coming in and you'll see those updated prices. A few other things. Um, I'm coming up with, we talked about lure making a lot. Actually, speaking of lure making, the recent hot weather we've had has allowed me to finally have my beaver tail oil kind of production line going. So that beaver tail oil has been sitting out in glass jars in the sun. Well, those those beaver tail chunks have been sitting out there and they haven't been making a whole lot of oil. And finally, we, we got up into the 90s, which is pretty exceptional for here. And the, the oil started coming out of those chunks of tail. So the production has gone up substantially and I'm getting ready to pour those off into to, uh, some jars here uh, pretty shortly. So I thought I'd update you with that. And when we talked about the lure making topics, I mentioned that I was going to come up with something on trappingtoday.com about uh, lure making topics and different resources. So I'm actually going to do a little blog post on the different uh, books and DVDs that we discussed here in the podcast on lure making. So if you are thinking, oh, I, I wanted to, I forgot about, you know, those things that were mentioned in the podcast and I wanted to remember, wanted to kind of get, uh, pick up some of those books or DVDs. Well, if you don't want to go back and find that episode and listen to it, I'm going to have a blog post. You can get out on trappingtoday.com and just search for lure making in the search box there somewhere and you'll be able to come up with this page. I'll have that done here in a few days when I, I get the time. And uh, you'll have a bunch of resources you can click on and, and find those uh, lure making books and DVDs. And finally, I have a new bumper hitch, uh, a hitch guard for my pickup truck. And that is courtesy of Seven Oaks Trapping Supplies. That is Trapper John. You find him on uh, Trapper Man. He posts up there all the time. And he owns that and runs that Seven Oaks Trapping Supplies. Not a full trapping supply company, but he makes like, he does a bunch of trap modifications, does a bunch of welding. He makes a few lures and baits and uh, does a little bit of everything. Has, has some... Um, trap line uh, accessories for you uh, to try out but one of the unique things he does that I haven't seen from a lot of people is makes these uh, these hitch guards they basically slide into the uh, hitch receiver on your your standard receiver on a pickup truck and they are a coil spring trap so it's pretty much one of the coolest things that that you'll see is being able to ride around with this uh, trap kind of set there um, that slides into your hitch receiver and sits there in the back of your in in the back of your truck. So anyway, uh, if you want to check that out, uh, I think it's SevenOaksTrappingSupplies.com or just Google them and and you'll find the site. And they're not that expensive. He does them for it's less after the shipping. It's less than forty bucks. If you remember the fur shed fire that I had, my fur shed burned down and I lost uh, two to three hundred traps. I think it was closer to three hundred traps. Really a uh, total bummer. But 
on the bright side, uh, John did offer, he said, you know, I use those damaged traps for uh, making these these hitch covers, and I'll trade you. Um, you want to send me send me some of your damaged traps, I'll send you a hitch cover in the mail. So he made me one, and it took a few months, uh, but I just got it and extremely, extremely happy with it. So I may snap a couple pictures of that and... Uh, and put that up on on trapping today just so you can see what it looks like but if you want to check him out if you're interested he, he doesn't really make a whole lot of them but uh, I know he gets backed up sometimes trying to keep up with demand but they're a pretty cool product and pretty pretty cool thing to uh, make use of some some old trap maybe you have lying around or or just uh, have him make one and and uh, good way to uh, show the world that there are a few trappers out there um, around still, and and uh, maybe show other trappers as they're riding around. They see a trap on on the back of a truck. It's kind of cool thing to see. So anyway, uh, I think we'll wrap it up. I got a few other things to talk about, and we will talk about that in the next episode. But it is almost midnight here. I'm running on fumes, so I apologize. I know this might have been a bit of a choppy episode, but anyway, I wanted to get it out there. had a lot to talk about, and I hope it was helpful. I appreciate you tuning in. As always, you can contact me, jrodwood at gmail.com. That's J-R-O-D-W-O-O-D at gmail.com. And uh, go to trappingtoday.com. Anything you want to see on the podcast, feedback, what you liked, what you didn't like, what you'd like to see in the future and learn about. Um, I am happy to hear from you, love to hear from you, and appreciate everything. Podcast continues to grow, and I'm very excited about that. And we will catch you on the next episode.